Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christ Church of Orinoco. Our hope is that it would help you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. Let's open our Bibles to John chapter 1. Merry Christmas, church. We're going to celebrate this morning. If you're visiting with us, we're glad you're here. My name's Mark. I get to be one of the ministers here at the church, and we're glad you joined us on this Christmas Sunday. We're completing a series of messages that began several years ago when I was doing some research, and I saw the expression that God came down. I thought that's a fascinating term. It's not like God isn't with us all the time, but there were certain moments that he made an entrance into the world in a significant way, and it was recorded. And we're not covering all of those moments, but we're grabbing just a handful of them to see what we can learn from them. And what we've learned is that when God comes down, it's to give us back something that we dispossessed or threw away. And each one of these moments frames Christmas. It gives us a proper perspective of it. Today, we're going to look at the greatest moment of God coming down in the history of mankind. It will only be surpassed when he comes down the second time and restores the new heaven and earth. But until this moment, this is the greatest coming down that we could ever celebrate. We're gonna be looking at John's account in the Gospel of John chapter one, first 18 verses, where John explains the arrival of Jesus, not in the historical facts. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record the stories of of Mary. Well, Mark just goes right into his life, but Matthew and Luke record the stories of the angels and the shepherds and Mary and Joseph and the the wise men and the, the two elderly saints in the temple. All of those stories are told. John writes decades later, and in doing so, he knows the story's been told So he focuses us in a different direction. John doesn't tell us about the events. John tells us about who he is and why he came. Now, you may wonder, like, Christmas, Easter, it seems like when I come to church, every time I hear the same story, and let me kind of explain why that's important. You may think preachers only have one song to sing. It's not true. There's just one song we really like. You see, uh, many, many years ago, when Heather and I lived in Michigan, we went with about four or five couples to Grand Rapids, Michigan, Uh, to see a concert. It was James Taylor, and I was very excited about it, and Heather went along because she's a nice wife, and and, uh, she tolerates my music. And so we went with these couples, and on the way over when we had dinner, we were talking about, well, whose favorite song that he sang, would he sing first, and whose favorite song wouldn't get sung, and would they be disappointed? And we were having these kind of conversations, and the concert starts, and James Taylor walks out at Van Andel Arena, and he starts singing, and he sings the first three songs nobody knew. They were off his newest album. And we all politely clapped, as you're supposed to, but he could tell. And then in a wonderful moment, he goes, I know, none of you came to hear those songs. And then he played the first couple of notes of Fire and Rain, and we exploded, just like it was supposed to be. You see, when I go to see James Taylor in concert, I don't want to hear his new stuff. I want to hear his best stuff. So when you come to church and you think, does the preacher only want to talk about the gospel? Yeah. Here's why. It's the best song to be sung. And if we're not careful... Um, we may forget the words or the melody or the beauty or the truth. You see, I read somewhere recently that when the truth of the good news found in only Jesus isn't shared amongst God's people regularly, history will record that we will find new things to focus on, not the good, proven, faithful things. So one of my favorite, I'm gonna get judged for this, but one of my favorite uh, new Christmas movies out is Elf. Uh, I do love that. I'm still a seventh grade boy, so why wouldn't I? If you don't know the story, let me uh, enlighten you. Uh, Buddy was adopted and taken to the North Pole, and he thinks he's an elf, but he's like six foot six, and he doesn't fit in with the other elves, and they tolerate him, but he finally realizes he's not an actual elf, so he goes to find his family. 
when he discovers his family in New York City. He is so naive, and he ha- he's one of those guys that struggles with suspended adolescence. He's just a little boy at heart. And the wonder of the world is threatening to him and exciting to him. And he, he meets his family in New York who, who gave him up for adoption, and he meets his half-brother, Michael. And when Michael comes home from school, Buddy's waiting for him. And as they're walking home, one of my favorite lines in the entire film is when Buddy says, so good news, I saw a dog today. And you think, That's, why is that good news? And he says, have you ever seen a dog? Oh, you've probably seen lots of dogs. And they continue their conversation. And the wonder of Buddy in that moment makes me happy. Because sometimes when I think about the gospel, I think you hear me say, isn't it good news that Jesus died on the cross? And you're like, Mark, yeah, that's not that, I know. Let's get on to the new. Let's get on to the fresh. Bring me something I don't know. When the fact is, I want James Taylor to sing Fire and Rain. And this preacher wants to preach the gospel. Because that story can never be forgotten. That tune can never be bettered. It's exactly what it needs to be. And when John tells us the story of the gospel, he tells us the story of Jesus. Because words matter. And John will refer to Jesus as the word. He takes the the best of the Hebrew prophetic statements of the Messiah, and he takes the Greeks longing for truth and understanding, and he melds them together in this word logos. And he says, Jesus was the word. Words matter. Each one of us deep inside us has words that were spoken that were good words, positive words, affirming words, shaping words. And we hold on to those. We relish them. Right now, you're thinking of somebody who spoke a good word to you in the right moment, and it lifted you up and emboldened you. And every one of us, if we dig down deep, can find moments where someone's words injured us. They were mean, they were harsh, they were inaccurate, they misrepresented, and they hurt. Words do things. And when John calls Jesus the word, John had been there when Jesus' words created and healed and proclaimed and guided. So he not only knew that he was the truth, Logos, but he was the epitome, the realization of that truth lived out among us. So John will tell us who he is in verses one through one, two, and three. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning and through him all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. Do you see who he is? In verse 10, he says, he was in the world. I wanna pause there for a moment. That's a much bigger statement than you and I might hold on to. When the temple was built in the Old Testament, remember David gathered all the materials because he wanted to build God this great majestic temple to just show the world how big and powerful he was. And God said, you have blood on your hands for killing Uriah. I'm not gonna let you build my holy place, but your son Solomon will. And Solomon builds over years this beautiful ornate temple like the world had never seen before. And when he was praying over the temple to dedicate it for the worship of God, he asks a profound question. He says, will God really dwell on earth? You see, what Solomon is pointing us to is this. The structure doesn't matter if the presence doesn't arrive. What he was saying was, a building can't contain God, but if the glory and presence of God would arrive, this would be a majestic place. And I want us to know that the structure of our lives don't matter if the presence of God isn't with us. You see, God's glory appeared in the garden to Adam and Eve. God's glory appeared at the building of the Tower of Babel. God's glory appeared on Mount Sinai, giving Moses the law and the tablets. God's glory appeared in the traveling tabernacle that led the Israelites into the promised land, into the place of Jerusalem. And they were led by a a cloud and by fire. And and God's glory appeared in the temple before Isaiah and brought him to his knees. But that glory had been quieted for close to 400 years. The presence of God had not been 
what it was, and they were wondering. And then John says, then a marvelous thing happened. The glory of God came to the earth in a man, not in a cloud, not in a mist, not in a light, but in a person. Verses 10 and 11. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own. I'd like to tell you on this Christmas Sunday a story. Soren Kierkegaard was a Danish philosopher, a poet, and a theologian. And he penned a little story called The King and the Maiden. I, you know, I wore my Mr. Rogers sweater to tell you a story today. Are you into it? All right, so just sit back and enjoy Christmas story. Here we go. There once was a king who loved a humble maiden. The king was a king above kings with power and might to make all others humble before him. His wealth, his intellect, his influence were unreachable. Lesser kings sought his favor. But this mighty king was moved daily by his love for a humble maiden who lived in the poorest village in his kingdom. He longed to go to her and announce his love for her, but there was a problem. How could he declare his love? Oh, he could appear before her in royal robes, surrounded with the royal guard and carry her away in an ornate carriage. He could bring her to the palace and crown her head with jewels and clothe her in the finest gowns. She could surely not resist this type of proposal for no one dared resist the king. But would he love her? Would she love him? She might be awed by his royal splendor and tremble at the thought of being blessed with such an opportunity. She might tell herself she'd be foolish to reject such a marriage proposal. But would she love him? Would she go through the motions all the while feeling empty and unsatisfied for what she'd chosen? Would she be happy loving him for himself and not for his title, riches, or power? He didn't want a wife who behaved as a subject, unwilling to do anything but agree with everything he said. Instead, he wanted an equal, a queen whose love knew no restrictions, whose voice would speak to him at all times without hesitation. Love with her would mean equality with her. The love shared between them would cross the divides of a king and a peasant and would make the unequal equal. He had to find a way to win the maiden's love without overwhelming her and without destroying her will to choose. The king realized that to win the maiden's love, he had only one choice. He had to enter her circumstances without power or riches and without the title of king. Only then would she be able to see him simply for who he was and not for the positions he held. He had to become her equal. And to do this, he must leave all that he had. So one night after the castle was asleep, he took off his crown, removed the rings of power. He dressed himself in the common clothes of the poorest of the kingdom. And leaving through the door of the servant's entrance, the king left his castle and his kingdom behind. As the next day awakened, the maiden emerged from her cottage to meet a stranger, a common man with kind eyes, who requested an opportunity to speak with her. And in time, he hoped she would love him as he truly loved her. The end. Kierkegaard's story of the king and the maiden is actually the story of the advent. He's retelling that story, that song that we all love to hear sung. The song that can become old time in our minds, but actually is fresh every morning. What happens when true love makes that which is unequal equal? When it brings it all together. Let's read verses 11 through 14 of John 1. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of a human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the father, full of grace and truth. We have seen his glory. 
The glory that God has been showing every time he comes down, every time he engages with us. What was the glory of Jesus? It was how he made those of us unequal, equal. How he bridged the gap between his kingdom and our peasants' world. To those who do not receive Jesus, John says, their history has been written by themselves and it ends horrifically. To those who do receive him, he makes those unequal, equal. He came to restore what sin had broken. Remember that every time God comes down, it seems that he is giving back to us something we have dispossessed or destroyed. He's coming back to give us what he originally granted us, but he's giving it to us through grace. If you haven't been with us, I wanna tell you what the core of this entire series for the last four weeks has been. Christmas is sinful, not in celebrating it, but Christmas actually exists because we were full of sin and Christmas was God's remedy, his promise fulfilled. So he came down. And when Jesus arrived, after the many appearances of God proclaiming this promise, what did we receive? What is the beauty of this song we sing repeatedly over and over to center ourselves on the gospel? Jesus came to reveal God. I want you to know that I believe this is the first and foremost important thing Jesus did. Yes, he came to save us from our sins, but he came first to reveal the God who desires that our sins be removed, to show us the mercy and faithfulness of God. Like the king in the parable, his love moved him. That's why John would say in John 3, 16, when he's telling the further stories of Jesus, he'd said, for God so loved the world that he sent, quoting Jesus. God was motivated to do this. Verse 18 of John 1. No one has ever seen God, but God the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. You see, the promise comes to us that we know who God is because of Jesus. We know the stories of God, we know the history of what God's interaction with mankind was, but we really didn't understand the heart of God until Jesus revealed him fully to us. He came so that we might love him like he loved us. He, re he came to reveal the nature of the Father, love and mercy. So many times, Jesus would have been justified to have been cold, distant, to exact revenge against the rebels. But do you see the gentleness and mercy he shows? And the only time that you ever see Jesus angry and upset is when people are lacking love and mercy toward others. Then Jesus shows the wrath of God against those who have rejected the good gift of God. Do you hear his, his voice to the woman caught in adultery in John chapter eight? Neither do I condemn you. Do you see the kindness to go with Zacchaeus, a known cheat? someone who took advantage of people and acted unjustly? Do you see Jesus going to his home and bringing salvation to his home by his mercy and love? Do you hear the accusations made repeatedly against Jesus for his entire life? And that, that accusation is he eats with prostitutes, tax collectors, and sinners. Jesus is showing us who God is, a merciful, loving father who pursues us. Some of the most powerful words spoken and at the arrival of Jesus were spoken by the angels when they said, behold, this is what we do. We get to behold. We must behold, because if we don't behold the goodness of Jesus in the gift of Christmas, we will miss the opportunity to relish in the hope that gives us life. In fact, the disciples were slow to behold too. In John chapter 14, Jesus is asked by one of his disciples, he says, show us the Father, and Jesus responds, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. 
How can you say, show us the Father? Jesus said, behold. Behold what I'm doing. Behold what I'm saying. Behold the acts that I perform to show you the goodness of God breaking into your world. He did not come to just demonstrate that. He called us to the same love and mercy. He became a poor man to display the riches of his love in a world that is still trying to redeem themselves by power rather than love and mercy. In fact, there's something for us in this. Not only does Jesus reveal God to us, but that knowing who the Father is changes who we become. First John. Later, John would write these words to the, to the early church. Chapter four. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Where did John get that? Because when you see the way Jesus lived to reveal the father to us, because if you've seen the son, you've seen the father, then John said, then his love, that love that he wants us to have for him, that he has for us, that love changes the way we live. Jesus came foremost to reveal God to us. Secondly, Jesus came to deliver us from our condition. And this is what we love to celebrate. It's like the king in the parable. He wanted to give this maiden a better life and future. Jesus came for that reason. Because every appearance of God was to restore what we'd lost. In fact, Jesus says in Luke 19, for the son of man came to seek and to save that which was lost. The first thing all of us have to do to understand the power of the gospel and to behold it properly is to behold ourselves properly. We need him. See, the thing I learned in the scripture is that many people falsely believe that Jesus came to the elite. Jesus came to the special, that Christians were chosen by God because they're better than everybody else. And we all know that's not true, right? Because the Christians are us. And we know that there's nothing found in us but dirty rags and filthy attempts to be good. Yet we know this, Jesus cannot save those who are trying to save themselves. We realize that he came to remove us from the condition we placed ourselves in. And only he could do that. In Hebrews chapter two, it it tells us a part of the Christmas story in one of the strangest places. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Our condition identified our fear. So we behold It was necessary for him to become in the flesh, to leave the kingdom and enter into our peasant village, to be able to do what needed done to free us from our slavery. May it never become dull to us to utter the words, Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Hey, good news. I saw a dog today. You see, it's in the simple. It's in remembering the pleasures of this world that God is revealing himself repeatedly May the gospel never become a dull message to us. Hebrews 2, 9. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. See, what Jesus did not only had an impact thousands of years ago, but it has an impact today. How do I know? Because Jesus is receiving glory and honor in the heavens for the work of the gospel. And they're not celebrating something that once happened. They're celebrating something that's happening every day for those who believe. The angels are celebrating every day and they don't wake up going, it's Tuesday, we gotta thank him again. No, they wake up every day going, this is incredible. It's still working. The death on the cross still works. 
Jesus came to reveal God. He came to deliver us from our condition. Jesus came to bring many into his kingdom. It still works. It's still ongoing. It's still making a difference. Like the king in in Kierkegaard's story, he wanted to share what was his with the peasant. He wanted to share himself, not just his power, not just his riches, and not just his palace, but himself. In verses 12 and 13 of John 1, John writes this beautiful statement. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of a husband's decision or a husband or a human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Let, let me paraphrase this so you understand the intent. He says, man did not contrive this. Man did not develop this plan. Man did not scheme this out or even imagine it was possible. This was God's choice. This was God's design. This was God's perfect will. The salvation story, we never would have imagined it. But think of all the great epic love stories written in the world like Kierkegaard's and what do you find? They're all telling the Jesus story over that there is a love so powerful that it shapes and reshapes humans and it gives people future and hope. And Jesus came so that not only you and I would celebrate the story of his coming and what he delivered, but we would also share it with others. Hey, good news. We have a king and you can have a king too. A king who loves you, who sacrifices for you, who forgives you, who restores you. Lastly, Jesus came as the satisfaction of the promise of God. See, Jesus is the evidence that God is faithful. Jesus is the evidence that God will always be faithful because Jesus proved that God has been faithful. He's the word. He's the epitome. He's the the lived out truth of God. He not only reveals God to us, but he shows the character of God by the way he lived his life for us. This entire series has led me to this one passage in Romans 15. that was the genesis for all of it. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed. And moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. That's why God came down. Jesus came to fulfill God's promises in the Garden of Eden, that one day one would come and crush Satan's head. Jesus came to restore the saving glory on the plains of Shinar, where man's glory tried to compete with God's glory and it couldn't even be seen from heaven. And so God delivered a glory that can be reflected in each of us as we fulfill his purposes for us. Jesus came to show us the way out of darkness and into the kingdom of light. For the people have seen a great light, Isaiah proclaimed. And the prophets, Ezekiel and Daniel and Jeremiah and on and on would share the truth that God revealed to them when he came down and spoke words of truth. But it can happen that we don't behold him. It can happen very easily that we move on with our lives and we we listen to new songs and build our lives on new hopes and new dreams and new fresh ideas when the truth is the gospel is worth beholding because it's true. It's real. It reminds me of the, in Luke 24 and the the men were walking back from the, the crucifixion weekend and they were leaving the city despondent. And as they left the city, they were walking and a stranger walked up beside them and began to speak to them. And they were talking about what was going on that weekend and how horrific it was that Jesus was cruelly murdered 
And as they get to the house, they have a meal. This, this stranger begins to tell them all the way back to Genesis, how God said he would do this and he did it. And God said he would do this and he did it. And God said he would do this. And he traced them through the Old Testament and the promises of the Passover and the wandering into the wilderness and all of the truths of God. And he delivered from the time of Moses forward all that God had been doing. And when he was done, he broke bread and drank wine and they went, it's Jesus. And then he was gone. And when he left, they looked at each other and one of them has this great line. He's like, didn't our hearts burn within us when he was telling us these truths? My prayer is that our hearts will never stop burning within us when the truth of the gospel story is revealed. Hey, good news. We have a savior born. His name is Jesus. And he came to save the entire world. In Isaiah chapter nine, the prophet says these words. For to us, a child is born and to us, a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from this time on and forever. And the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. What we celebrate today is that the zeal of God has accomplished it. Jesus is the mighty God, rebuilding what we shattered. Jesus is the everlasting father, giving us a place and a name and bringing us into his family. He's the wonderful counselor, providing us the light and truth in the darkness of this world. And he is the Prince of Peace, bringing an end to Satan's reign and restoring a relationship with God that is pure shalom. Oh, it's such a cliche because it's so true. Jesus is the gift. And every other gift at Christmas may be okay, but never trade the temporary for the eternal. The Apostle John shared with those reading his writings that Jesus came bringing us so much life, so much hope, so much peace, so much love. You see, words matter. And Jesus was the communication of God in human form that we might know God, that we might be delivered, that we might become part of the kingdom and that we might be able to forever receive the promises of God completely. I'd like you to listen to what John would tell the people in the book of Revelation about this king who came and this king who's coming again. Listen to the words of our students as they read from the children's storybook Bible. One morning, Jesus appeared right there in John's cell. Jesus's eyes were bright, shining like the sun. I'm going to show you a secret, John, Jesus said, about when I come back. His voice was like the sound of rushing waters. Write down what you see so God's children can read it and wait with happy excitement. I see a throne and on the throne is a king and the king is Jesus. There are loud cheers and clapping, clapping and bright laughter like a thousand waterfalls and everyone bursts out, sing a new song. This is our king, the lamb who died so he doesn't have to. Be our rescuer, all honor and glory will forever and ever. And every creature everywhere in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and the sea joins in. And then from all around, a wide, immense, beautiful silence, and I see Satan, God's horrible enemy, thrown down, defeated. I see a sparkling 
cities shimmering in the sky, glittering, glowing, coming down from heaven and from the sky. Heaven is coming down to earth. Where is the sun? Where is the moon? They aren't needed anymore. God is all the light people need. No more darkness, no more night. And the king says, look, God and his children are together again. No more running away or hiding. No more crying or being lonely or afraid. No more being sick or dying, because all those things are gone. Yes, they're gone forever. Everything sad has come untrue, and I see I have wiped away every tear from every eye. I'm on my way, said Jesus. I'll be there soon. John came to the end of his book, but he didn't write the end. Because, of course, that's how stories finish. And this one's not over yet. So instead, he wrote, Come quickly, Jesus, which perhaps is really just another way of saying, To be continued. For anyone who says yes to Jesus, for anyone who believes what Jesus said, for anyone who will just reached out to take it, and God will give them this wonderful gift. To be born in a whole new life, to be who they really are. Who God always made them to be, their own true selves, God's dear child. Because you see, the most wonderful thing about this story is it's your story too. My thanks to Claire, Isaac, Ava, David, and Sadie for doing a great job telling us the stories for the last four weeks. Kierkegaard's story of the king and the maiden ends unanswered. It ends with great possibilities or great sadness. Did she notice him? Did she ever love him? Did she ever trust him? Was he able to convey his love to her and change her heart to see him differently? I like that he doesn't tell us the ending of the story because it's like life. We know the story surrounding Jesus' arrival. We know that like the king in Kierkegaard's story, he came into our world to gather our attention, that we might love him like he loved us. The angels were proclaiming, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace and goodwill to all who find the Lord's favor. The Lord's favor. It's what we celebrate each and every week that we gather when we celebrate around the table of Jesus. We have received the Lord's favor, yet not everyone's received it. It's offered to all men and women to trust this King, to follow his Lordship, to receive his benefits. Yet I want us to never forget when statements are made, Jesus died on the cross for our sins, to go, yeah, I know. Instead, to remember the Lord's favor. And may we never forget the price that he paid to bring it to us. It wasn't just coming in the form of humanity and living with the limitations of being a human. It was actually the the death on the cross, the unlawful prosecution, the unlawful punishment, the torture, the shame, the nakedness, the abandonment. May we never forget the price that he paid to show us his love. May we never forget that he took off his crown and his rings and his robes and entered into our world as a tiny infant, having to learn to walk and be potty trained, to learn to speak, to write, to do math, to live in a world that never understood him as a poor child without any material possessions, to live his entire life only at the the gracious provisions of those who cared for him. You see, we will behold the gospel when we behold the gospel when we focus our minds and hearts on it. That's why this morning, following my prayer, I'm gonna ask you to take the bread and the juice that you've prepared for this morning and brought into this room. I'm gonna ask that you behold the king 
Behold the gift. Behold the price paid. Behold the forgiveness, the love, the mercy, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we receive you. Jesus, we receive you. Holy Spirit, we receive you. We eat and drink in honor for the price paid for the love you showed. We eat and drink reminded that Christmas is full of sin and we needed this. We didn't know we needed you. We didn't contrive this. We couldn't have guessed it. We would have written it ourselves. It is the great redemption story from the great redeeming father. Forgiving our sins, loving us into your kingdom, restoring all that we had violated in our rebellion. You did this out of love so that we might love you like you've always loved us. Father, teach us to love. Teach us to love you and teach us to love one another as we receive your gift. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for checking out this podcast. We hope this teaching helped you to discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. For more resources or to learn about Christ Church in general, visit us online.